0: You know, what you believe about God is by far the most important thing about you. And we live in a society where there's a lot of confusion about who God is. There's a lot of discussion about what God does, but there's, there's also a lot of confusion about who God is. In a recent study, conducted by Baylor University about what Americans believe about God, it was shown that surprisingly 91% of Americans express some type of belief in God or a God or some type of like cosmic force or or powerful being. And so actually over 90% of Americans state some type of belief in a God. Here's kind of how it broke down. 31% of those expressed a belief in an authoritarian God who is, quote, angry at humanity's sins and engaged in every creature's life and world affairs. An authoritarian God. 24% of those who were interacted with in this study expressed a belief in a distant God, a God who is more of, quote, a cosmic force, that launched the world only to leave it spinning on its own. 23% of those involved in the study expressed belief in a benevolent God, a God who is forgiving of everyone and and pretty much uh, accepting of of everyone. And then 16% of those involved in the study expressed belief in a critical God, a God who quote, has his judgmental eye on the world, but who is not going to intervene either to punish or to comfort. And so it's pretty interesting as you look at what Americans believe about God, what our society largely believes about God, it's, it's all over the map. There's certainly kind of widespread agreement that there is some type of God or higher power or, or cosmic force, if you will. But then when you, when you start drilling down into, okay, who is God? And, and what are the implications for our lives? Well, that's where you get all kinds of different viewpoints. It's interesting, a lot of the descriptions that surfaced in this study were, were geographically located, meaning like, for, for example, of those who believe in an authoritarian God, the majority of those who believe in an authoritarian God are located in the South. In the Bible Belt, that's not overly surprising. The majority of respondents who expressed belief in a distant God were located in the West. The majority of those who express belief in a benevolent God, just kind of a God who forgives everyone, a God who's just uh, gracious, you know, there's no wrath, no, no, no uh, critical aspect of God. They're, they're located in the Midwest. And those who believe in a critical God, a God who's harsh, you know, a God who, who, who's not involved in the world. He's just just a critical God who created the world and kind of left it going. They're in the East and Northeast. And it's interesting to see how even where you live can shape what you believe about God, where you grew up, can shape what you believe about God, and so there's there, there's a lot of confusion about who God is, and and that's why we're we're launching this series called Knowing God, where we're going to spend a few weeks talking about some of the most fascinating and critical attributes of God in an effort to to bring clarity to the confusion that's in our society because the most important thing about you is what you believe about God it informs your present and your future it informs how you live your life it informs how you steward your resources it informs how you raise your children it informs how you approach your career i mean literally what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And we live in a day where there's so much confusion about this and there's so much focus on self. You know, there are people who believe in, 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 in God as, as, as someone we get to through some type of legalistic means. You know, you gotta, you gotta get your way to God. Some some of you may maybe grew up in a in a context where that legalism was kind of kind of harsh you know it was like man you 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 got to do x y z and if you don't do it you're out kind of thing you know what I mean like some of you grew up in like a super super strict legalistic kind of thing but but others are, are legalist at heart they just don't know it you know it's it's just a softer side of legalism where it's basically hey you know what I've got to do enough good to outweigh my bad and they comfort themselves by by looking around and thinking okay well at least at least I'm in the the, the, the top 50%, <laughs> you know, well, that's, that's still a form of legalism where I'm going to earn my way to God. Maybe it's not as harsh as what some of you grew up in with, with um, you know, some type of super strict legalism. But, but, but here's the thing, that's, that, that's still a belief system that's largely rooted in you. What you do, what you bring to the table. And there are a lot of people like that. And so there's so much confusion about what we believe about God, what's actually true about God. And and that's why, listen, it's so important. We spend a few weeks just kind of navigating some of the most critical attributes of God. I wanna show you how that applies to your life and why it's so important that you approach God for who He is in the right way, which will always yield the right results. Because, Because here's the thing whether it's a legalistic kind of approach of like hey I just got to make sure my good outweighs my bad or whether whether it's um even just something that's rooted in subjectivity you know whether it's like many today you kind of kind of kind of kind of look at god very very subjectively like again, it's kind of tied on our perspective some people almost approach god there's a lot of churches now almost like Talk about a God who's, who's, who's like dependent upon having a relationship with us. Like he needs us. Like, 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 like we approach God in terms of, of like, he's sitting in heaven, wringing his hands, wondering what he's gonna do if we don't love him. You know, a lot of the songs that are sung, a lot of the discussions that are had, are, they revolve around just this God, as if, as if He's some kind of spurned lover that's wringing His hands, waiting for us to come back. You know, it's, I can't live if living is without you. Y'all know that? <laughs> I can't live. Who was it, was that Celine? Who was that? Some of you know, you just don't want to say. Say, I get that. Oh yeah, Mariah Carey, thank you. Yeah, it was Mariah, of course. Who needs the Lord? See, that's my point. That's that's what I'm trying to say here. There's so many people like they come to God like like God's like like I, I, like, like oh he's a spurned lover like he's just he can't he 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 can't live without us kind of thing. And and so here, here's what I'm saying: a lot of what I, I think our society's focused on when it comes to God is coming to God through the lens of our perspective our experience. And here's what I want you to understand, okay? Given the fact that what we believe about God is the most important thing about us, the starting point can never be us. It's always gotta be Him. And so we have to seek to know God based on what He has revealed about Himself, not primarily through our experience or our subjectivity or our perception. We have to start with God on his terms. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. And, and I don't mean this in a discouraging way, all right? I really don't. But here's just, we got to start on the ground floor here. God doesn't need you. He can live, no offense to Mariah. okay? He can live without you or me. He doesn't need you. Now it's indicative of our society that I have to preface that by saying, I don't mean that to be discouraging. Because that's kind of a shock wave that's sent through our culture. When you say, God doesn't need you. he doesn't? No. Do you realize that right now, in the context of the Trinity, one God in three persons, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has all the fellowship He needs. God is perfectly fulfilled. God is perfect in all of His ways. Perfectly fulfilled, satisfied. He's majestic, wonderful, all of that. Right now, He doesn't need you or me. This is not Jerry Maguire, okay? You complete me. That's not what this is. If you have any other cultural references, I'll try to work them in here and say, just holler at All right, I got Mariah Carey, I got Jerry Maguire, come on, let's keep it rolling here, all right? This is not you complete me. This is not I can't live without you. No, no listen, listen to me. God doesn't need us, we need Him. And so as we think about knowing Him, as we think about, as we think about treasuring Him, As we think about this most important thing about our lives, what we believe about Him, we have to start with Him. And and, and what's so fascinating through human history is that anytime God raises up someone through whom He's gonna do something special, you know what He always starts with? He doesn't start with the assignment, He starts with a revelation of Himself. Because here's what's true of every single one of us. If we can capture a right view of God, then everything else will take care of itself. And so what did God do when he called out Moses? Let's just take a quick survey here through human history. What did God do when he called out Moses? Well, well, he started with a miraculous representation of himself. Like, like he brought Moses into a context where Moses could see and savor the glory of God. And he calls to Moses in this, in this burning bush that's not consumed and he, he meets with Moses. Before he asked Moses to go do something that is like insanely hard to do, overwhelming, frightening, go stand before the most powerful man in the world and tell him the way it needs to be. Before God says, this is what you're gonna do. He says, this is who I am. And Moses struggled, right? Because Moses is like us thinking that so much of what happens in the world is governed by us and not this holy, majestic, powerful God, right? And so Moses needed a little bit of heart check. And so God's having to coach Moses up on, um, excuse me, none of this is ultimately dependent upon you. Moses like, well, Lord, I don't don't talk so good. (laughs) And God's like, you think your little speech impediment is gonna hinder me? And, and Moses has had all these doubts and he had all these fears and he had all these things and in his mind were like hindrances as to why he couldn't do what the God of the universe was calling him to do and God is just revealing himself to Moses and on one instance look, I love this, Moses even gets to this point. he says, okay God he says, well okay, what if I go to the Israelites okay, what if I go to our people and, and I'm like, okay God God sent me to to, to, to to you know to deliver here we're going're we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to be sent out of Egypt the slaves okay we're going we're going and what if they say Here's what Moses said. What if they say, well, well, what is the name of this God? So he's worked through, he's working through all these all these reservations, or all these fears that he has. And, and then check this out, Exodus 3. Check out how, so God replied to Moses. I love this. You tell him, my name is Bob. Tell him. Bob. Bob sent you. Bill, George. Right? Just tell them. I mean, Moses is like, okay, well, what if they ask for your name? Like, I mean, I don't know, God, what do you want and, and no, for real, right? God's not like a name. Hello, I am the sovereign maker of heaven and earth. I don't have a name like you. A name? Here's my name, here's what you do. Moses, you tell them, I am who I am. They want to know who sent you. You tell them, I am who I am. I don't have a name like you because I'm not like you. I am the one true and living God. He says, this is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Meaning I am ever present. I am all powerful. I am the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. I am the eternal God who always has been and always will be. That's who you tell them sent you, Moses. A name? A name, like somebody down the street called you up on the phone and said, hey, I need you to go stand in front of Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. No, you tell him, I am who I am. And then Moses later in writing what is the only Psalm we have recorded by Moses in the Old Testament, Psalm ninety. Reflecting on the glory of God said this, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, check this out, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Our God is eternal. Do you want something that will cause your brain to explode tonight when you're, when you're lying in bed? Anybody want that? Anybody up for the challenge? Okay. Okay, good, one person. Come on, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do, all right? When you put your head on the pillow at night, I want you to contemplate the fact that God has always existed. I've tried it. And literally my brain started coming out my ears. And it's just like an overwhelming thing. God has always existed. Here's how we say it in terms of our theology, our theological framework here. God is uncreated. He's always existed. He has no beginning, no starting point, no birth. He's always been. Now, if your brain's not starting to ooze out to ear at this point, okay, here's the next level. Okay, you're lying in bed tonight and you're like, yeah, that's, I'm fine. My brain's not exploding. You're that smart. Okay, you're smarter than me. That's not hard. Okay, so let me give you the next level. Okay, so what was before God made what is? Was it just like blackness, darkness? Just like, what was, like, because you know what does have a starting point? The earth the ever expanding universe. God exists outside of that. God is bigger than that. God is sovereign over that. Is, is anybody's head hurting yet? Because do you see what Moses is saying? This is the same man who, who in the presence of God was trying to put up selfish arguments as to why he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. And, and, and what does God continue to remind him of? Um, I don't think you understand who you're talking to here. I am the great I am. So that later upon reflection, Moses says, God, from generation to generation, you are God and and you are God from eternity to eternity. There is no starting point, there is no ending point. This is the glory of our God. And God reveals his glory like this on numerous occasions throughout history here 's what's so cool this God who's always existed and, and and has always been and always will be this God who created the world by the word of his power, this God by the way who whose glory is seen in the world that he's made so clearly that 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 if we'll just pay attention there' There, there's this development of both fear and awe in us, you know, like, like like you just see like in the world around you. you see in the complexity of the human body, you see in the complexity of human life, you just see that, that yeah, we have a creator, that none of this could have happened by accident or coincidence. Like this is not random. Like th- th- this world has meaning and purpose that it, if the earth were shifted just slightly away from its gravitational pull around the sun, like, like we would burn or freeze, right? Like you see, you just look at the world the universe, the body, complexity, you just see this world has a creator, it has a designer. There's a glory, a complexity here. And so this God, here's what's so cool, this God has chosen to make his glory known to us so that we can actually know him. And he comes to men like Moses and say, hey, I'm gonna raise you up to do something amazing. Moses like, I can't talk so good. God's like, I created your tongue. Your lips, your mouth, like, I got this, right? Well, what if they ask for your name? (laughs) Really? I I love it, how about Joshua? I love this, I mean, this is just so cool. Remember Joshua going to Jericho, right? And Joshua, man, this is like an overwhelming task. Now you got a group of people, they're not trained. Okay, these are not special forces operatives here. This is just a nation of slaves brought out of captivity. And, and now, you know, they're, they're, they're in the series of conquests where God's just proving himself. And guess what? God's having to do it. And so Joshua's standing before Jericho, man, what's gonna... And he looks up, right? And they contemplating what's gonna happen. And he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua approaches him. He's like, hey man, um, are you for us or for our enemies? <laughs> Police say you're for us. <laughs> he probably looked a lot like me, this guy, right? I mean, he's just, um, no. I mean, obviously the dude was like, okay, this is like an overwhelming figure. And Josh was like, hey, just, you know, basically, do, do we need to keep going or do we need to retreat? <laughs> are you for us or are you for our enemies? And, and check this out, I love this. He says, neither. I have now come as the commander of the Lord's army. In other words, he's an angel. An angel sent from God, an angel reflecting the glory of God. And so Joshua bows with his face to the ground in worship and he asks him, what does my Lord, what does the Lord wanna say to his servant? And check this out. The, the, the angel of the Lord says this, the commander of the Lord's army says, um, excuse me, before you get your mission here, um, you need to take your sandals off because the, feet on which, or the place on which your feet are standing is holy ground. Do you realize where I come from? I've, I've come from the presence of God. This isn't normal ground you're standing on. This is holy ground. Take your shoes off. Show some respect. <laughs> and then I'll give you your mission directives here. I, I, I love Gideon. You fast forward to the period of the judges, right? Gideon actually encounters the angel of the Lord, not just the commander of the Lord's armies, the angel of the Lord who is in the Old Testament, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. This is the second member of the Trinity coming in angelic form. And anywhere you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you, you read, you substitute, this is, this is the pre-incarnate, Christ, right? And this is the the Old Testament. I mean, those in the Old Testament, they they knew the angel, the Lord was was a special figure. And so check this out. So Gideon here is, is in a situation where like, like, like the angel of the Lord's interacting with him, but Gideon doesn't know it. And then there's a miracle that takes place and Gideon all of a sudden realizes that it's the angel of the Lord who, who he's talking to. And so look at his response here. Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In other words, what's the response of Moses? You know, when he, he's encountering God here and God's like, hello, I am the great I am. I am who I am. What's the response of Joshua? He's countering the angel of the Lord's arms. He's like, hey, take your shoes off, man. This is holy ground, similar to what Moses experienced. What's the response here of Gideon. He's encountering now this is the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ and, and he's like, I, oh no I'm going to die. And he says, no you're not going to die. Peace, you don't be afraid. And so Gideon then built an altar to the Lord after this encounter and he calls it what? The Lord is peace. Why? Because I encountered the glory of the Lord and he didn't kill me. Why would Gideon build that altar and name it the Lord the peace? For this simple reason, whenever finite fallen human beings encounter the glory of God or one of his glorious messengers, the response is always the same. It's an overwhelming feeling of dread and awe. In other words, here's what Gideon did not do. Pull out his cell phone and take a selfie to post on Instagram. I'm telling you, listen, that's how many people think of God today. God's not your peer. God's not your buddy, God God isn't like wringing his hands in heaven, like wondering what's gonna happen if you don't love him or follow him. He is the sovereign maker of heaven and earth from eternity to eternity, he is God. He is working in the world to reveal his glory and include us in the mission because he's kind and gracious and loving. But all of that ultimately is to bring glory to himself as the one and the only one who's deserving of it. And what happens is Moses is encountering the glory of God and Joshua and and, and Gideon, there's just this overwhelming aspect of my goodness, I'm on holy ground. My goodness, I don't deserve to live. My goodness, my sinful self cannot coexist with this glory and purity and holiness and majesty. It's a feeling of dread and awe. What happens in the ministry of Jesus as He takes on human flesh and He lives on this earth 2,000 years ago? Well, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement, right, on, on behalf of those who truly know who He is, that He is different from everyone else. In fact, in one encounter where Jesus is. Is, is present. There is one who calls out to him. And, 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 and he says this, you are Jesus of Nazareth. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Now, you know who says that? Think about it. Think, is it one of the disciples acknowledging that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Nope, not one of the disciples. Maybe someone that Jesus healed or nope. Maybe one of the Pharisees, nope. You know who made that statement? a demon a demon a fallen angel who knows full well the full power of Jesus a fallen angel who knows full well the full glory of Jesus and and here's what happened this 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 demonic influence this, this demon and in, in, in the life of another man, this demon-possessed person, right? Encounters Jesus, okay? And, and this man with the demonic spirit calls out, and I look at what this demon says. Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Because Jesus can. You know why? Because he's the most powerful person in the universe. He is God. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. In other words, you're not just Jesus of Nazareth. You're not just a carpenter's son. You're not just an average Joe. What does this demon say? I know exactly who you are. I know you have the power to destroy me because you are the Holy One of God. And yet sometimes we wanna come before this God flippantly, callously, casually, selfishly, Right? Do you remember the age of Christian bumper stickers, right? God is my co-pilot. Really? You want to roll with that? You want to roll with that? Listen, you're not just in the wrong seat. You're in the wrong car. I mean, does anybody remember the Christian T-shirt phase and the Christian bumper sticker phase? Do you all remember that? Right? It was God's my co-pilot. Not all the, oh yeah, yep, boom, put that on my car. And then somebody was like, I'm gonna create another bumper sticker. Well, if God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. So now you got Christians arguing with each other with bumper stickers. That's just how we do it. That's how Christians do it. We get dysfunctional at times, right? And, and I just think really like any kind of casual, flippant, selfish, subjective view of this God, do you, are, are you picking up here what, what God's communicating about himself? Do you see that that kind of a view of God is entirely inappropriate and dangerous? From eternity to eternity, he is God. He is the great I am. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is ever present. He sustains the world right now through the word of his power. He gives you the life and the capacity to take air in through your lungs and exhale it. He sustains you where you live. He doesn't need us, we need him. We need to recapture this glory, amen. Because what we believe about this, God is the most important thing about us. It shapes our present. It shapes our future. And that, and that's why, listen, kind of the last major example here, and this is huge. I mean, when Isaiah encounters this glory. Uh, Isaiah called, by the way, to a, a ministry that was, I mean, probably more difficult than that of Moses. I, you know what Isaiah was asked to do? Check this out. Isaiah was asked to go and be the primary prophet to Israel during a time of tremendous rebellion and hardship. Here's what the Lord says to Isaiah. Isaiah, um, you're gonna go and you're gonna be my spokesperson to Israel, but here's, here's your future, right? Here's your future ministry. You're gonna speak and nobody's gonna listen. You're gonna proclaim my message. Nobody's gonna pay attention. They're gonna do the opposite. They're gonna hate you. I mean, listen, Isaiah was never gonna end up in a situation where people were writing about his ministry. Oh man, have you heard about what God's doing with Isaiah? Pastor Isaiah, oh my goodness, church is booming. (laughs) I, I don't know that Isaiah had more than single digit converts his whole ministry. Now, how would you like that for a job? Well, God called me to ministry 30 years ago and we've seen six people join the church. It's, uh, we started as one and now we're seven, (laughs) 30 years. Yeah, you're not making it on Outreach Magazine's top 100 growing churches, right? You're not gonna see the prophet Isaiah right there. Oh man, Isaiah's getting no speaking invitations, right? No book deals, okay? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, Isaiah had an incredibly difficult task for his lifetime. God told him up front, here's the deal. Here's what I'm gonna do with you. I'm gonna send you to a bunch of people that are not gonna listen to you. And so you say, why did Isaiah go? I tell you why he went, because he saw the glory of God. And when you behold the glory of God, you, 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 you don't just live life the same. It changes you. And here's what Isaiah saw. Here's what, in the year that King Uzziah died, right? Isaiah's like, God gave me a vision, a special vision here to set me apart for this special work. It's hard work. It's brutal work. I mean, just read through Isaiah. It's brutal what he has to do. The message of judgment that he has to preach, the number of people that reject him. This is brutal. And here he is in the year that King Uzziah died. He's like, God gave me this vision because, because I needed it. He's, he's setting me apart for this work and I saw the Lord high and lofty on his throne throne in the hem of his robe, filling the temple. Now this is important because the year that King Uzziah died was a transitional year for Israel. Man, Uzziah reigned 52 years in Israel, 52 years. Largely his reign, although not perfect, was marked by faithfulness and prosperity and peace. I mean, 52 years, many in Israel, he's all they knew. They had the security of this godly leader, And toward the end of his life, he made some foolish decisions, but I mean, much of his ministry was marked by faithfulness and fruitfulness, peace and prosperity. 52 years. We change leaders out every two, four, six years, right? Can you imagine 52 years? This nation thrived under Uzziah, and then he's gone. And there are imminent threats around them There are real issues they're gonna have to tackle. And in this transitional year, here's what God says to Isaiah. I'm setting you apart for this work. And Isaiah, I just want you to be crystal clear. Uzziah is no longer on his throne, but I'm on mine. I'm on mine. And Isaiah says on the year, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on his throne. And what else did he say? He sees, he sees the Lord on his throne and the robe fills the temple. Here, this isn't like he had like a big robe on, okay? This is like literally like the Lord's glory, okay? Like, like pictured in this robe, like literally like it filled everything. Like, like Isaiah's like, I didn't have a place to stand. Okay, it's like the glory of the Lord is all over. It's just all over. And then check this out, man, this is wild. Um, check, verse two, look at this. So and then seraphim, seraphim, um, that word in, in the original language means burn, to, to burn, burning ones here, okay? The, the I am on there is a plural, okay? That's the, that's the plural in Hebrew, and, and it's these burning ones, okay? And, and they're very unique. These are perfect, holy creatures created to give God glory and praise, and they're standing above Isaiah, and with each they had, they had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they, they call out, like just. Continually, okay, like not back and forth, like there's just this reverberating sound, okay, throughout the whole encounter. It's just holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, the glory, his glory fills the entire earth. And Isaiah says, and the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's just overwhelmed by this. He's given access into God's glory in a profoundly unique way, more unique than Moses or, or Joshua or Gideon. I mean, he's, he's brought into this vision of like God's glory in a way that he can, he can process it. I mean, and, and, I mean barely, but he's able to. And, and he just sees this incredible vision of who God is. And these seraphim are phenomenal creatures because I, it just blows my mind because they're perfect, right? They're holy. They're in the presence of God. They have no sin, no flaws, no affections, right? But even these seraphim, when encountering themselves, the holiness of God, which is different than their holiness, the glory of God, which is different than their glory, even when they are in the presence of God, they have to cover themselves because they're so overwhelmed by how holy and glorious God is. That's how awesome our God is. Even the seraphim are like, I can't even look on him. Perfect beings, sinless, flawless, no distortions. Even they are covering their feet in humility and covering their eyes, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Is this the kind of God you think we ought to refer to as a co-pilot? I mean, is this the kind of God that we think is wringing his hands in heaven, not knowing what he's gonna do if we don't love him? Is this the kind of God that is somehow dependent upon us in any way? What is wrong with our society that we have lost and diminished this overwhelming, majestic, beautiful picture of who God is? We are messed up, man. We are selfish. The seraphim are covering themselves. Saying, I can't even look upon his glory. And they just cry out back and forth. There's just this reverberating sound. I mean, it's loud, it's so loud. It's shaking the temple and Isaiah without even really a place to stand because the the robe, the glory of God's covering everything and there's smoke and it's it's just this glorious, I mean, overwhelming scene. And you you hear holy, 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 holy. You know why that's so important? Because nowhere else in any of the scriptures do you find an attribute of God repeated like that three times. Nowhere in the New Testament will you see God referred to as love, love, love. Nowhere in the scripture do you see God referred to as power, 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 faithfulness, faithful, faithful. No, 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 but you know what what you see? God is holy, holy, holy. Revelation four, look it up. The, the, The beings there that John sees in his vision, guess what? Beings around the throne of God, what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. Do you know why this is so important? Because the holiness of God is not just his purity, although it certainly reflects that. It's also the fact that our God is different. He's unique. He's set apart. It's all of these things rolled up into one. He's not like you, He's not like me, He is set apart. He is the great I am, holy, holy, holy. Do you know why it's so important? Because because everything that God is, is holy. His love is a holy love. His justice is a holy justice. His wrath is a holy wrath. His love is a holy love. We're gonna talk about that. Listen to me, everything about God is holy. Everything about God is glorious. Everything about God is infinitely powerful and majestic. This is the glory of God. And Isaiah says, this glory is filling the whole earth, not just this vision of the temple, but, but I mean the whole earth, this glory is here for us to see and know and embrace and behold. And when we do, the immediate response has to always be repentance, humility, openness to whatever he wants us to do. Because when you encounter the glory of God, it changes you. And that's why Isaiah said, listen, last thing, he says, woe is me, woe, not wow. (laughs) No, no, there's no wow. When you encounter the glory of God, there's no wow. There is only woe. He says, woe is me for I'm ruined. Like literally that word ruin there has the idea of like, he's like a a spool of yarn. Like literally he's coming apart, unraveled from the inside. He feels himself literally just like he's overwhelmed. Like he can't process it. He's he's confronted with just how finite he is, how sinful he is, right? Like how how messed up he is and like just how small he is in comparison to the glory and the holiness and the power of God. And he says, I am am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. I'm messed up. I mean, have you ever seen something in life that gave you this combination of fear and awe? I mean, have you like, like for me, I remember going out to the Grand Canyon, I've been out there one time, and I was there as a, as, as a college student with my family, and there, I mean, you see it, right? You get kind of the, to the canyon, you look out, and it's like this overwhelming feeling like of awe, like, wow, I am so small. And there's also this combination of fear, like there's no guardrails. That is a big canyon, man. And that's why like my parents are like, okay, everybody right here. I'm like, mom, dad, we're still in the parking lot. Okay, (laughs) right? Like, have you ever been in a situation in life where where you have this combination of fear and awe simultaneously? Isn't it cool how God's wired us to kind of have these multiple feelings and emotions and experiences at once. You know, you process it. And listen, that's Isaiah. Isaiah on the one hand is, I mean, no doubt overwhelmed by, by this vision, by, by this glory, by this holiness. And then, and, then, and then there's this part of him that's like, he's just undone. He's like, I can't. I mean, who am I before the Lord? Literally, I'm gonna die. Same response as Gideon, I'm gonna die. And of course, as you read on, you discover, you know, the Lord comes and he cleanses Isaiah. He appoints him to this task. And Isaiah spends the rest of his life preaching to a bunch of people that are not gonna listen. And why does he do it? Because his eyes saw the glory of the Lord and he was changed. And so listen, let me just give you one key takeaway today. All right, this is it. You cannot encounter the glory of God and remain unchanged. Hey, I don't have three points in a poem for you today. You know what I have for you? The overwhelming, awe-inspiring, life-changing holiness of God. That just needs to settle on your heart. Because what you believe about this God is the most important thing about you. And listen to me very, very carefully. You cannot come in contact with this God and remain unchanged. And this God did not, did not enter this broken world in his love and grace and mercy to invite you into a relationship with him to where you can actually know him without dying, okay? He didn't do all of this just so you could feel a little bit better about your life. You could have a little bit nicer home or a little bit more in your retirement account or your kids could be a little bit better behaved. You know why he did all of this? Because he is the great I am and the one true and living God. And he deserves our highest praise, worship, and devotion. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. In other words, Our greatest end is to bring glory to Him. The greatest fulfillment we'll ever have in this life is when we live in such a way that we bring glory to Him. That's why we're made. And there are a lot of other residual benefits, right? like he blesses us far beyond what we deserve. And we live in a world where we experience his blessing in profound ways. And he provides for our every need now and in retirement. Listen, there are a lot of benefits that flow from this. God is a gracious, merciful, generous God, but make no mistake about it. If we ever substitute what he does for who he is, we miss the point entirely. And there are a lot of people today that come to worship a God who does something for them. And I'm telling you, God owes you nothing. The highest end we have is to come to know this God and bring glory to Him in all that we have and all that we do and all the residual benefits, great. But, but, but listen, you'll never find fulfillment in life if you're living for anyone other than Him. And if you truly come to capture this glory, this holiness, this power, listen, it's gonna change you. You know what the word glory means? Isaiah says, his glory fills the whole earth. The word glory there doesn't mean radiance. It's not about brightness. The word glory there means heavy. It's weightiness in this regard. Anything it touches, it displaces. It's like an anvil falling from the sky onto your heart and life. What happens when you take a brick and you drop it into a pool of water? I'll tell you what happens. The glory of the brick displaces the water, right? What happens when a tree falls on your house into your living room? Well, the glory of that tree displaces your furniture. Listen to me very, very carefully. When you come to embrace God as Isaiah does, this one true and living God, the seraphim declaring, crying out holy, 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 so loudly and so consistently that that the thresholds are shaking. And there's this overwhelming feeling of just wow and awe and wonder and fear. Listen, when you come to know this God and you invite Him into your life, He's gonna rearrange your furniture. You don't get to bring this God into your life just as some little bellboy, you know what? Hey God, thanks for the fire insurance and hey, I got a few more things I'd like for you to do for me before I check out. If that's your God, you got the wrong God. Now when you come like Isaiah, like Gideon, like Moses, and you seek this one true and living God for who he is, he changes you for the better. You know what he does when he rearranges your furniture? He puts it in the place it should have been to begin with. And so as we think about who we are, where we're headed, listen to me, Bell Shoals, listen to me. This isn't a God that we just show up every now and then and tip. This isn't a God we just give the leftovers to of our time and energy. This isn't a God that we just, you know, talk about when it's convenient, but not when it could be embarrassing. Am I talking to anybody? This isn't a God who, who gets our second best. You, you wanna know why we're a church that's so aggressively trying to reach lost people? You know why we're a church that's gonna stand firm on the authority of God's word and a culture that's trying to pull away from? It? Do you know why we're a people who are, I mean, even this week we're sending out eight incredible women to Costa Rica on a mission trip. You know why we're doing this stuff? Because we have beheld the glory of the one true and living God and he's changed some stuff about us and he's given us the privilege and the joy to know him, to to, to serve him, to fellowship with him, to, 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 to experience his love and his grace and his mercy and his power his provision and his providence. Listen, and so you know what? We are compelled to do something with it. Because you can't come in contact with this glory and be unchanged. You can't. And I just want to encourage you today as you take inventory of your life just to ensure that your view of God is big enough. And if you're with us today, and maybe you're hearing about this God for the first time, or maybe you've been tracking with us for a while, but you know what, you've, just, you've, you've, you've been given into fear or insecurity or just pride, and you just haven't taken that step of faith to say, you know what, this is a God I need to devote my life to. Let me give you one more good word today. All right, and then we're done. Listen, here's how much this God loves you. We're gonna talk about the love of God in a couple of weeks. Let me tell you, he, he sent, He sent Jesus, the word, all right? The word made flesh to dwell among us. So that, check this out. You want some good news? So we see his glory, his weightiness, the glory of the only one from the father, full of grace and truth. Here's what God's done for you. You you can't come before his throne room and like just see God like for who he is, like with no filter, right? You would die, I would die. So here's what God did. God took every initiative, to come to a broken, rebellious, sinful people like us by sending his son, the second member of the Trinity, second member of the Godhead to us, full of what? Grace and truth. And so now in Jesus, we see his glory. We interact with his glory so that our sins are forgiven and we have the hope of eternal life. And you may be here today, maybe tuning in online today and you've never asked Jesus as your savior, Lord. You've never committed your life to him. You've never submitted your life to him. I wanna encourage you to do that today because you see the glory of God in the person of Jesus.